Today I'm going to look at something which every single person in this room needs this minute or you're going to need it probably tomorrow. And I'll tell you where you're going to need it most. Right in your own home, in your own marriage, with your own children, with your grandchildren. You may need it with your boss tomorrow. So I highly encourage you because Jesus said it is the doers of my word that please my heart. Not those who just hear and don't do, but those who do. And one of the ways we do is how can we do what we can't remember? That's why we encourage you to take notes. My brain's not that good because US Air Force has done a study that shows that I forget 95% of what I hear within 72 hours unless I write it down. That's why we encourage you to take some notes that the Lord's Spirit would apply to you. The reason why you're going to need this, young person, at school, is you're going to have conflict in relationships. And Jesus talks to this issue in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse 9. Would you read it with me? Happy are the peace, for they will be called the sons of God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now, one of the qualities Jesus says that identifies Christians, one who are truly like their Heavenly Father, is they make peace. Notice there in that verse, it doesn't say, happy are the peace lovers. Everybody, I don't know anybody who doesn't love peace. Everybody loves peace. Oh, just give me some peace. I love peace. Peace and quiet. Notice it doesn't say, happy are the peaceable. Those are these people who never get disturbed by anything. They're just, oh yeah, whatever. Not talking about it. It says the peace, what? Makers. Peacemakers actively work at conflict resolution. They are not wusses. They take the bull by the horns. When Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, he provided the ultimate sacrifice to bring peace between God and man. He took the initiative. He demonstrated it. And like our Father and His Son, God calls us to be His children. And one of the attributes of His children is they are peacemakers. This involves action. Not passivity. Not just passive compliance. Oh, well, whatever will be, will be. No, 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 no. Peacemakers do more than just live peaceful lives. They actively seek to make peace and to cause reconciliation. They actively strive to end bitterness and resentment. Selfish people, on the other hand, as contrasted to those who love God and bear the mark of the family, selfish people don't concern themselves with peacemaking. But peacemakers, the Bible says there in that very first verse, will be called the children of God because they reflect their father's character. Like father, like son. But before we get started, I want to just clear up a few misconceptions about peacemaking. Firstly, peacemaking is not avoidance. Peacemaking is not running away from the problem. It's not ignoring the issue. You know that pink elephant that's sitting right in the middle of your living room 
that nobody wants to talk about. You know, it's not pretending it doesn't exist. The facts are, as every single person has experienced in this room, conflict is unpleasant. And often we would rather not face it and we would pretend there isn't a problem. That's not peacemaking, friends. That is cowardice. For example, for any of you who have been married for any length of time, and those of you who haven't, you need to listen up. Because in marriage, often there's an attitude that floats up, or even words that are said that, let's not talk about it. If you hear those words, that's a sign of avoidance. If you're afraid of making waves... I guarantee you, you'll end up harboring resentment. And unresolved resentment is like termites that just bores into the foundation of your relationship and eventually one day, the house will collapse. Secondly, peacemaking is not appeasement. Clearing up the misconceptions. It is not appeasement. Peacemaking is not passivity. You know, oh, I'm a doormat. I'll always just give in to you or to your perspective. Keeping the peace at any price. It's not never confronting the issue to keep the peace. In fact, if you can't confront an issue in a marriage, you have a sick marriage. There's no truth in there. It needs room to breathe. Truth. Now, truth, the Bible says truth will set you free. But let me tell you, in reality, first it may be painful. So just let me set that expectation. But Jesus says, that's okay. That's okay. That's reality. To say anything else is not reality. Friends, God does not expect you to be a doormat. Never. Jesus was a very, very controversial person. And I challenge you once in Scripture, in fact, I've already, let me do the homework for you, I've already done it. Not once does he ever back off from a legitimate issue. He stands up for what is right and the truth. So peacemaking is not avoiding, and it is not appeasement. So before we go on to how to be a peacemaker, I want to say why. Why is a very important, because why determines how long. Uh, why? Why should you be a peacemaker? I'll tell you why. Because unresolved conflict is exceedingly destructive. Even with your children. Don't let it happen. Get on that. Intervene. Help them to understand how to make peace. We'll come to that later. Unresolved conflict is very destructive in three particular ways. Now, please take note of these three ways. Number one, unresolved conflict blocks my fellowship with God. That's a fact. You and I might not like that. It may sit uneasy with us, But this is the truth. Did you know the Bible says I can't have close fellowship with God and be out of fellowship with others at the same time? Do you know it says that? 1 John 4.20 says this. How can a man say I love God and he hates his brother at the same time? Answer, he can't. That's the truth. And many of you know that from painful personal experience. Have you ever, for example, tried to have a quiet time? 
And you've just had a fight with your wife. Come on, I have. What does it feel like? Terrible. Doesn't work. Or on your way to church. Come to church. And you have a big fight in the car. Anybody had that? Who's had that? Thank you. Honesty in this church. Me too. And I've got to preach. How do you think I feel? But you know, it feels terrible. It just doesn't work. When you're out of fellowship with other people horizontally, you're out of fellowship with vertically as well. Now, if you're growing close to God, think about this. If you are growing close to God and the other person is growing close to God, it is inevitable that you will pull together. See? So our attitudes towards others reflect our relationship to God. And conversely, our relationships with God need to be reflected in our relationship with other people. So, conflict is destructive because it blocks unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. It's destructive because it blocks my fellowship with God. And if you listen carefully enough, God has already been talking to you to resolve it, but you've been saying, no, I want to avoid it. Secondly, Unresolved conflict prevents answered prayer. This is why it's destructive. This is the truth. The Bible says, Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. There is no room for sexism in a marriage, period. There is neither male nor female, Jew or Greek or anything different like that in Christ. Be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker physical partner. Certainly not intellectually, certainly not in any other way. Just physically, generally speaking, that is a truism. I can give you good examples who've been to my home. One of them is Valerie Villey. She is one slab of a woman. She pound me into the ground with one fist. She's an exception. But generally, <laughs> as a weak part. Now listen to this. As it is with you in the gracious gift of life. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Had a problem with email bouncing ever? Boing, came back. Had a problem with any of your prayers bouncing lately? Boing. If you're having a problem with some of your prayers bouncing, have a very good look at this verse, because that is the truth. It's saying here, treat your wife right if you don't want your prayers to bounce. So have a little relationship check there. Proverbs, uh, sorry, Matthew 25, 25 says, reconciliation with others is a prerequisite to worship. Ouch. I wish it didn't say that. 
What it says, if you've got your Bible open up and have a look. Matthew 5, 25. It says you come to church. That's a good thing. Tick. Then it says, and you, you give your offering. That's another good thing. Tick. But then it says something that's a bit uncomfortable. It says, whilst you're at church, which is where we are today, and you remember that somebody has something, now listen to the, listen to the angle here, against you. You remember somebody has something against you. It says, just leave it all there. Go sort it out. You see, there is no substitute for relational reconciliation. Not giving, that's what that verse says. Don't try and blind out that. God's not fooled. Not giving, not sharing, not even reading the Bible is a substitute to relational reconciliation. Regardless of who is responsible for the break in the relationship. Because remember it says there, if somebody has something against you, that's their fault. You may not have something against them, but it says if you remember something has something against you, interesting, isn't it? Often, you see, there's guilt on both sides, but we should determine to make reconciliation before we come to God and worship, and that is the whole point of that verse. So true worship is actually not enhanced by better sound systems or better music or better press. True worship is enhanced by better relationships between those who come to worship. But when there is sin, which you know about, and there is animosity and resentment in the heart, there cannot be integrity in our worship. Get it? Good. Nearly a thousand years before Jesus spoke this sermon on the mount, David put it this way. Listen carefully. And I haven't put it in your outline. It's uh, Psalm 66 verse 18. He says, If I regard wickedness in my heart the Lord will not hear my prayer. Psalm 66 verse 18. The third reason why conflict is destructive is unresolved conflict hinders my happiness in life. And the title of this whole series is Don't Worry, Be Happy. Now when I'm in conflict with Kim, for those of you who don't know, Kim or Kimberly is my wife. When I am in conflict with her, Life is not fun. And it's probably the same for you, right? It's actually quite miserable. Job 18.4 in the Living Bible says, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. Job 18.4. Resentment is dumb because it monopolizes your attention. And you are constantly stewing and spewing and sweating about it. And the other person's having a very nice day having a barbecue. And they're not thinking about you at all. You're the one that's upset. The Bible says you're only hurting yourself with your anger. So let me sort of turn this another way. You cannot grow as a Christian 
if you do not learn to handle and resolve conflict appropriately. For some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that. So today, to be a peacemaker. How do you be a peacemaker? Practically. There are five clear steps, which are very easy for me to explain, but very hard to do. But at least if you know what to do, you can practice. So here they are. Five steps to become a peacemaker. P-E-A-C-E. How to resolve conflict at school. How to resolve conflict at work. How to resolve conflict at home. Five steps. P. Plan a peace conference. That's the first P. Plan a peace conference. Notice there's already initiative in that statement. It is a verb. You can do this. You plan. You take the initiative. Don't wait like you and I are so often tempted to do for them to make the what? First move. God says, you want to be like me as a peacemaker? You take the initiative, just like I did with Jesus. Even whilst there were sinners, we were sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative. This defines, let me look, men, look up here. This is your first responsibility. You need to lead and take the initiative. Put your feelings, I'm talking to you men, please, ladies, just block you a minute, aside and do what you know is right. And many times, I know what's the right thing to do, but do I want to do it? This is we say, Jesus, like we're saying today, have your way in my life. This is how he has his way, by you doing what you know the Spirit of God would want you to do, but you're too chicken. Why should I do this? Because Jesus said to do it. That's a good enough order for me. The boss says, take that hill. Okay, here we go. Into it. Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 23. If you remember your brother has something against you, go at once. See the imperative? And make peace. That's a clear order from the boss. Doesn't matter who's the offended or who's the offender. It is always my move. That is the mark of a mature Christian. It is always my move. Peacemakers take initiative. Some of you are saying, well, why should I go to him? Well, because you're more mature. And Jesus says to do it, and he is the prince of peace. So what you do here is you sit down and you schedule a peace conference. A face-to-face meeting. You know why we have to do this? Because conflict is seldom resolved accidentally. It doesn't just resolve itself. You must intentionally deal with that. Mature Christians recognize that. Now listen, if someone smells funky, go after it. Dig it out. Find out what's going on. It's better to be proactive. Mature Christians have the strength of the Holy Spirit within them to go after that. So you sit down and you intentionally deal with it. 
Now, notice, when do you deal with it? And I want you to get your pen and circle some very practical instructions. It says, at once. The word of Jesus is incredibly practical and it is a manual for life and it tells us how to live. Don't postpone it. You know what it's like. Oh, I'll try tomorrow. And then so that ratchets down a bit and then you're like, well, maybe it'll stay under the let sleeping dogs lie. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, somehow it works with women like this. The longer you leave it, the harder it is to resolve. So that's the first thing you do. You plan a peace conference. Notice, doesn't matter whose fault it is, you take the initiative. Number two, you empathize with their feelings. Empathize with their feelings. Now, the Bible says this, none of you should think only of his own affairs. In other words, what's bugging you? But consider other people's interests also. This requires a change of focus. Off me. Because when I'm mad, do you think I care about what you're upset about? No. I just care about what I'm upset about. So all I'm thinking about is me. Now, what God is saying to us here is, don't just think about why you're upset. Just think about it a minute from their point of view. Empathize with their feelings. The Greek in there is talking about... It's talking about... It comes from the word skopos, which is what we use for a sight. A telescope or a rifle sight. Take focus on their, what, their interests, what their beef is, and try and understand that. Pay attention to their point of view, which often we, we forget because we're too busy defending our own point of view. So the Bible says, plan a peace conference, and you take the initiative. E, empathize with their needs, not just have your head filled with your own needs. And A, and this takes some skill, but boy, it's true. A is you need to attack the problem, not the person. This is tricky. See, what I'm saying here is you cannot focus on fixing the blame on somebody and fixing the problem at the same time. If you go to a meeting, this uh, peace conference, and you're, and you're going to blame the other person, don't even bother going. It's no use. You're not in the right... You need to get your head straight in this one. Because read with me Proverbs 15, verse 1 from the Good News Version. Let's read it. A gentle answer quietens anger, but a harsh one... How many of you know that verse is true? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what it's saying there is you need to engage the mind before you engage the mouth. It's saying you need to be sincere, not sarcastic. And then it's saying another you don't get your point across by being cross. And a favorite saying of mine is you are never persuasive when you're abrasive. 
A gentle answer quietens anger. But a harsh one stirs it up. So you attack the problem that you're facing, not the person. The Bible says you need to speak the truth in love, though. And when you do that, don't use harmful words, Ephesians 4.29 says, but only helpful words, the words that build up and provide what is needed. Now, this is the hard part, because how many of you have been in the middle of an argument and something that you've said, upon later reflection, boy, you wish you could never have said that. Anybody said that? Because you know what? You can't take it back. You cannot take it back. David says it this way. He says, Lord, put a sentry or a guard at my mouth. Now, look, just, before it goes out, let's just think about this. And that takes tremendous self-control. But be of good cheer. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So if you talk to the Lord throughout this process, it makes it a whole bunch more calm and manageable. Remember, the Holy Spirit lives within you. He is, and, and, and one, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Peace is one of his attributes, one of his fruits. So talk to him along the way. So when you have that meeting, don't criticize and condemn and compare. You know, well, you're just like your mother. <laughs> or worse, well, you're just like my first wife. <gasps> Do not compare. God doesn't make every one of us a unique and individual. Now, I want to recommend a book to you for those who want to get some more traction on this because this is where the rubber meets the road, friends. Christians should be able to disagree agreeably more than anybody else. If you need some help on that, I want to recommend you a book called The Language of Love by Gary Smalley, not Chapman. Smalley, 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 okay? Different book completely. How to say the right thing and not the wrong thing. This helps. This helps communication. If you've tried and tried and things are just not getting through, this is a great book for you. You don't condemn, you don't criticize, you don't compare, you're not condescending. You attack the problem, not the person. Number four, P-E-A-C. You cooperate as much as possible. In other words, God calls us, friends, to be bridge builders, not bridge burners. So when you get to the meeting, you look for all the time common ground. What can we agree on? What can we agree on? What can we do together? In fact, would you read this verse with me? It'll help you. Do everything possible on your part to live at peace with all men. That's Romans 8, 28. It's saying here that a hallmark of Christians is the ability to get along with people. And I want you to circle in that verse there, on your part. You see, because there are some people you and I meet in life that are very peculiar. And they're not very easy to get along with. But a disciple, somebody who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ, has a responsibility to do all that is possible on their part. You cannot control their reactions, but you can control your choices. And folks, I just want to point out at this point in time that peace has a price. If you want peace in your home, if you want peace in your marriage, there is always a price. 
Let me tell you what some of those, that, that price is. Some of it, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you because you're going to have to give up some of your pride. It's very hard, especially for those of us who are competitive. It is. It's going to cost your selfishness. It's not going to all be all about you. It's going to cost your ego. It's going to cost your self-centeredness. And I think that's one of the reasons why God made marriage. Because it knocked a lot of that out of you. It's going to cost you because you, maybe you're going to have to say, well, maybe my wife's got a point there. Maybe I was wrong. And you're going to be willing to give in and compromise on some things. See, the three most difficult words in the English language is what? I was wrong. Okay? I have to use those quite a lot in my house. The two most difficult words to say sometimes is, I'm sorry. The five most difficult words is, I'm sorry, I was wrong. (laughs) The six most difficult words is, I'm sorry, I was wrong a lot. (laughs) Now, how far can we take this? (laughs) James 3. James, the brother of Jesus, incredibly practical man. He says, peacemakers will plant. Notice again the action. Peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. Are you planting seeds of peace? Or are you sowing discord? Or are you not planting anything and just weeds are growing up? And reap a harvest of goodness. So James here is continually emphasizing the person who professes to be a Christian must prove it by his daily living. There has to be integrity in what he says and what he does. So you look and you say, well, what can I do? What seeds am I planting? If, on the one hand, you're planting seeds of griping and complaining and comparing and criticizing and condescension, and hassle and putting down your mate, guess what you're going to reap? Another seed. Conflict. I guarantee it. If those are seeds you're putting in with your children or your spouse or your boss or your co-workers, that is the result of that. Because there's a law that God set down which is inviolable. And that is, you will reap what you sow because God is not mocked. So whatever seeds you're planting in your friendship or your marriage, that's what you're going to grow. So why not here, like James says, start planting seeds of peace and cooperation. Start empathizing with other people's feelings. And take the initiative. Do not wait for them. Go to them first. See, that's initiative. That's leadership. Two quick scriptures I want to put in the back of your minds. Matthew 5.23 and Mark 11.25. Whichever way you hang this, you're in trouble. When someone offends you, it says you go to them. 
And then the second one says, when you offend them, you go to them. So whichever way you slice and dice that, you need to do something. You take the initiative. So if you want to be a peacemaker, that's what it means to be like God. You firstly, you plan a peace conference. Secondly, E, you empathize with their needs. Then A, you attack the problem, not the person. And by the way, I've noticed something. When I've worked in corporations, when we have a problem, we have all of our energy focused on the problem. We don't start attacking people. What is your problem? In fact, you'd be out of there. If we took some of that protocol and we moved that into our own homes, it would be a whole bunch more civilized. Interesting thought, isn't it? You attack the problem, not the person. Then you cooperate as much as possible. And then lastly, E, P-E-A-C-E. You emphasize, and stay with this, is very important, reconciliation, not resolution. I'll tell you what I mean by that. There's a huge, excuse me, difference. To reconcile means to reestablish the relationship. Let's be clear about that. To reconcile means to reestablish a relationship. It does not mean to resolve every issue. That may not be possible. There may be legitimate concerns that you have that cannot be resolved. Reconciliation means you bury the hatchet, not the issue. You keep talking about that issue. And you learn the skill, the mature skill, of being able to disagree agreeably. Parents, that is critical when you have teenagers who are hell-bent on doing something they want. And it's completely the opposite direction to where you want them to go. You cannot strong-arm them. You'll break the relationship. Be careful. That's another day. Reconciliation means you bury the hatchet. You can often have honest differences. You know what I've learned with my wife? And she listens to all these, so don't worry. She's teaching all-stars right next door. I've learned it is possible to walk arm in arm but not necessarily see eye to eye on every issue. Because if you want to see eye to eye on every issue, you ain't going to get it and you're going to be frustrated. But the relationship's there. We just have agreed to disagree. And that's fine. Reconciliation focuses on relationship, but resolution focuses on the issue or the problem. There's a difference. When I have focused on the uh, reconciliation of the relationship, often the issue becomes less contentious because that third person feels validated and valued and listened to. You know, you say, well, hang on, we're married. We're on the same team. Why are we fighting each other? We're supposed to be on the same team. You know, you know what it's like. You can have a major disagreement on. Here's a classic. How to raise kids, how to discipline your kids. You know? How to spend money, whatever it may be. Or it could be sex. That is the issue. So the first focus is on reconciliation of the relationship. And often when I do that, it starts to resolve itself out, or it becomes immaterial. 
but at least now you've got two people working in the same direction to resolve it. Not assassinating the other person. So you focus on emphasizing reconciliation, not resolution. I want to read this verse here in 2 Corinthians 5.18. The Bible says God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gives us, you, me, the ministry of reconciliation. That is what he has given us. So God models what he wants you and I to do. One synonym for the word peacemaker is reconciler. One who brings people together. So when you proactively help restore relationships, you are doing what God would do. And when you help bring people together who've been estranged, that's the most Christ-like thing you can do. That's called the ministry of reconciliation. And you're doing it. You're fulfilling one of God's purposes for you on this planet. To reconcile people. And when God sees you taking the initiative, just like he did, like father, like son, to bring and restore harmony married in, in a marriage or harmony in office, or that parent-child or that estranged relative, God says, that's my girl. That's my boy. They're acting congruently with family values. That's why he says, happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And God says that's exactly, they're doing exactly what I would do if I were in that situation. I would be trying to bring harmony. I would be trying to, uh, where there's disharmony. I will be trying to bring unity where there's conflict. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, what? When? When brothers dwell together in unity. Five points for this man in the back here, Tashlin. Crunchy Barfa, roll them. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commands a blessing. Happy are the peacemakers. So God has given us that ministry of reconciliation of peacemaking. So who can be a peacemaker? You can. You can. And God wants you to be. But first... Only the person who has the peace within himself can make peace. You cannot give what you do not have. When you have peace with God, then you get the peace of God. And when you have the peace of God, then you have peace with other people. That's how it works. How do you find the missing peace? When you're missing peace in oh, the, that peace of God. How do you do it? Well, first of all, you meet Jesus, who is the one and only Prince of Peace. That's who he is. God became man and he built a bridge to us so that he could bring us to God. And I love what he says in John 14, 27. He says this, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but my peace. It's peace that can't be taken away. It's not upset by the traffic that doesn't go anywhere on the motorway. Or that dent in your car that that some kind soul left and park and spend. It's not upset by that. It's not based on circumstances. It's inner peace. That you can have in the midst of chaos, 
and uncertainty. That is the peace that he brings. When everything's falling apart, you can still be at peace. And that is the kind of peace that God wants to give his children. The Bible says in Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule. Now that word rule is like an umpire, like a referee in your heart. The umpire is somebody who calls the shots. Somebody who keeps the game moving on. Keeps it in focus. Now many people have tried a whole bunch of stuff to find that peace. They thought, well if I just buy this latest car, then I'll be happy and peaceful. I'll be contented. So they try buying stuff. Some people try eating stuff to feel peaceful. To give themselves some comfort. And really the reason why they often do that is because they don't feeling, they're not feeling peace in their hearts. Some people try going places and doing stuff. But it's just an activity and it's temporary. Christ is the missing peace that some of you are missing in your life today. The Bible says, until you've invited Christ into your life and let him fill you with his peace. Now listen to this. You are at war with God. That's what the Bible says. That's the truth. And some of you need to make peace with God today by accepting his son and experiencing the Prince of Peace. Is that you? Some of you on their hand, most of you in this church, have at some stage made a decision. So my question to you, if you're in that camp, is how would you like to be remembered? What would you like on your tombstone? Option A, troublemaker. Option B, peacemaker. So let's bring this, wrap this up. What is your reputation at work? Are you a troublemaker? Are you always in fights? St. Francis said this of Assisi. He said, make me an instrument of thy peace. It's a great prayer. Whenever there are hostilities, let me bring peace. Let me bring harmony where there's disharmony. Now, every time you tell somebody, be it at work or your neighbor, about Christ, or you bring somebody to Christ, you are being a peacemaker. The Bible says, happy are the peacemakers. Why? Because they're at peace with God and they're at peace with themselves. And they will be rewarded for it. That's my girl. That's my boy. And you'll be rewarded. I want to give you a project. Some of you need today to make a peace conference. It's all good listening to this, and it's pretty easy. You could follow it all along, and I saw many of you nodding, many of you smiling, some of you poking each other. I saw that. But here's where the rubber meets the road. You need to make a peace conference with that person that you had a conflict with. Maybe you've stuffed it under the rug. Don't be tempted, because ignoring the pink elephant is not going to make it go away. It smolders as resentment. 
you need to take the initiative. The Bible says, do everything possible on your part to live at peace with all men. Now, if you try and they say no, and they rebuff you, fine. Let me say that again. If you try and they rebuff you, fine. You did what your father asked you to do. You were obedient. That's their problem then. The Bible says as far as it is possible, you've done everything you could. You are not responsible for their response. But to be able to know that in my heart I've released them from resentment that I had towards them, that's what it's about. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. Their attitude is up to them. You can't control that, but you can control your initiative and your actions. When you've done your part, God looks down and says, that's not the way. That's my girl. Would you pray with me? This morning as we have touched on a very real and earthy and gritty issue, do you have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart? Have you been looking for the missing piece? Well, this morning, have you realized afresh that unresolved conflict blocks your fellowship with God? It prevents answered prayer and it hinders and will continue to hinder your happiness until you deal with it. And if you're, you'll know that because if you're still stewing over it and you're still frustrated about it, that person who hurts you, and it's still unresolved, the Bible says you're only hurting yourself with your anger. And this morning, some of you need to open your life to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, come into my life right now. Just say that in your heart. He's not here to scare you. He's here to save you. And he's not going to turn you into some fanatic. He wants to turn you into what you're meant to be. What do you say if that's you? Jesus, forgive me for all those things I have done wrong. When I've ignored you and just done what I thought was right and made the situation worse. He's promised that he will forgive you. If you ask him, he'll wipe the slate completely clean. Would you say, God, would you acknowledge that you know everything that I've done wrong? And I ask you to forgive me and to help me forgive myself. And Lord, help me to forgive other people as much as I know how today I give you my life. That's a starting point. Say, I want the peace of Christ to rule in my heart. Some of you need to say, Lord, give me the courage to plan a peace conference. You know I don't want to do it. But I know the longer I put it off, the more miserable I'm going to be because the relationship's still broken. Some of you as parents today, or as partners, need to say, Lord, help me to realize and empathize with the feelings of that person with my wife or my husband I've been far too quick to blow them off and to defend my own position 
Some of you need to say, Lord, in our marriage, would you please help us to attack the problem and not the person? Help us not to use harmful words, but only helpful words, and to cut out the sarcasm and the criticism and the complaining and the condescending. Help us to realize, Father, again, that we are on the same team. Help us to cooperate as much as possible and to emphasize reconciliation, not the resolution of every issue. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And maybe this morning you're sitting next to your husband or wife. Would you say before God, I want a harmonious and honest relationship. Things have been up and down for a while. But I really want our marriage to be one of harmony. Father, you said in your word, happy are the peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God. Would today you help us be like you. Bringing people together by being instruments of your peace. By living in peace with everyone as much as it is possible. Fill us with your peace, we ask, this week. In Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said...